It is Tuesday, May the 12th. We are studying 2 Peter. We're in the middle of 2 Peter chapter 2. We dealt with all of the statements relating to Old Testament examples, as you remember. And uh, the if statements have been concluded that God certainly knows how to. Let's look at verse number 9 here. How to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment. That's the promise until the day of judgment and he will judge them and punish them ultimately. Speaking then in the middle of verse number 10 about the present problem of uh, false teachers or those at least on the horizon there that were threatening the church. Uh, talking about the problem of them blaspheming, which is one translation said speaking badly, which is really, it's more than that. It's dismissive. It's thinking less and speaking less of something important and significant. And this is the contrast here, the glorious ones, whereas angels, the example that we saw over there in Jude, uh, though greater in might and power than us, and we had a little chance last time to talk about angels, uh, they don't pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. Now, verse 12 is our verse for today. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, which is an awkward way to say it, but the Greek text there is certainly making that clear with that repetition of those words. Well, you can see here in the middle of the verse, it talks about the difference between animals and them. The, that's the illustration, the false teachers. They are blaspheming again, speaking less of and making light of something that's very important. Matters that are important, but they don't understand them. They're ignorant of them. And they're going to be destroyed just like the example here of animals. And this is the text that I want to uh, use today, utilize today, to think through today in light of the topic. Much like we talked about angels last time, let's talk about this topic here of animals. And we'll spend a little time doing that, but first let's look at the parallel passage. Parallel passage here in Jude chapter 10, uh, we see the same basic idea here of irrational animals, creatures of instinct. We'll look over here at Jude chapter, or Jude verse 10. It says, these, the false teachers there on the scene, will blast, uh, these people blaspheme, present tense, all they do not understand. There's the ignorant part, right? They are ignorant of those things. And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. So they're just acting like brute beasts, like animals. And here's the same idea, irrational animals, unreasoning animals. And this brings up a question that I guess we haven't addressed. I don't guess, I know we have not addressed that we should spend a little bit of time addressing before I talk a little bit about animals and just a brief, brief synopsis of the theology of animals in scripture. But um, what's with all these parallels? We've had all these parallels about blasphemous judgment that has not been given by angels. And the angels then get very specific in Jude about Michael, the archangel who does not um, rail against uh, Satan when there's a dispute about the body of Moses. So we've seen all these parallels. And I just wanted to talk about that because we haven't addressed why that's the case. Um, actually, there are uh, 25 verses in Jude. It's a one little chapter book. And 19 of those 25 verses uh, have allusions to Second Peter and um, parallels, I guess you should say, before I inject my conclusion. But the question is, well, they seem to say the same things. Who came first? Um, this is a lot like the discussion we have regarding the Gospels, right? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 
Uh, as we look at those texts, we see so much similar material. And uh, so there's a lot of speculation about which came first. Is there Mark and priority? Did Mark come first? Is that Mark plus Q? Was there this other document that had the sayings of Christ? Uh, you know, there's, uh, could you flip this over and have a Matthew, Math, Matthew's priority, Matthew, the book of Matthew's, uh, Matthew being the priority of the text um, that John and I'm sorry, that Mark and Luke uh, derive their material from. Uh, we talk about independent source. All these things may get you thinking back to where we were studying all of these things in, um, in the uh, survey of the New Testament, literary dependence. And we've talked about that and I've given you several views and uh, Greichbach's view and all these things that make us recognize there's a lot of points and counterpoints and arguments and counter arguments and a lot of them end up just attacking each other. And they there's, I mean, you can see that they're built on assumptions that can be canceling one another out pretty easily. As a matter of fact, there's a little essay in the back of the Harmony of the Gospels, pretty standard text that's out there in a variety of translations uh, by Gundry and Thomas, a little essay on just looking at the logic of which came first. Well, you can have a lot of that going on here in this as well. Um, and yet we don't have the third reference. In other words, you look at what Jesus taught and you can see Matthew, Mark, and Luke in particular, and John uh, all discussing what Jesus said. Well, here you have two documents and it's not looking at a third document, right? This is, I mean, you could speculate that, but you know, which came first? And I guess the best way for me to summarize what I taught in New Testament survey is to take you to a text here in 2 Peter chapter 3, take a look at this on the screen and compare it to Jude 17 and 18. These are almost identical if you look at them. So you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing first of all that scoffers will come in the last days scoffing and following their own sinful desires. So that's a text, Lord willing, we'll get to here in 2 Peter chapter 3. We'll look at Jude 17 and 18. He says, but you must remember, beloved, he adds that word, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. Okay, We've had a ton of parallels between Jude and 2 Peter. I mean, so many. And yet this one seems to be somewhat decisive in terms of which came first. Uh, the idea, at least here, it seems, is his quotation in talking about the predictions of the apostles has to do with the false teachers themselves. Here, we see this as a statement, if you look at it in context, that relates to God's promise to destroy, in the case of the world in the Old Testament, in the flood, and then the prophets that are coming, the false prophets that are coming in their day, and talking, of course, about the scoffers. Well, here you see the connection, and it seems as though this is Jude's quotation of Peter. So again, there's a lot more that could be said, and not that it's a huge deal, but because there's so much material and some of it almost identical, uh, my contention is when I talk about this and teach on it is that Second Peter proceeds chronologically, literarily, it precedes Jude for what it's worth, because we haven't addressed it. As long as we're studying 2 Peter, we might as well talk about it. Well, briefly, I promised you this, or halfway through, but let's talk about this idea of animals, just because it's an illustration, and a lot of this is what we're already have covered and are going to cover more about their blasphemy. We've talked a lot about it and about their coming destruction, but let's just deal with the issue of this concept of irrational animals. And as one commentator says, you know, when you're dealing with this in certain cultures, um, you know, so many people, uh, they venerate their animals. They actually literally venerated their animals in Old Testament worship uh, of animals, and certainly in Greco-Roman times as well, certain animals were 
revered in, in our day today. In Hinduism and other places, animals are revered. But today, it's carrying your poodle around in a, you know, whatever, $2,000 uh, carry case to the airport. That's a different story. But the idea is you, you see these statements, and they seem to so disparaging. All we're trying to do here is make a really clear distinction between human beings and um, and individuals. First, we should say, just to build a quick, quick, quick theology of animals, let's just remember that Genesis chapter 1, verses 24 and 25, the Bible's very clear that this is a direct creation of God, right? God creates the earth and has them bring forth, has the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kind. He made, God made, the beast of the earth according to their kinds, livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground. This is part of God's good creation. And this is Genesis 1. He's going to say it's good, good, good. So animals, part of God's plan, original plan, and it is good. Uh, we have the fall in Genesis chapter 3. And speaking specifically of the incarnation, at least here, of the tempter in the garden, uh, God says to the serpent, because you have done this, cursed are you, now notice this phrase, above all the livestock and above all the beasts of the fields. Well, the point is here, they're all going to be cursed. So animals were cursed in the fact that they had encountered the effects of sin in the animal world. And uh, that was specifically laid out here in terms of whatever the serpent must have looked like before this, but God had him go on his belly there slithering around as a snake. Or to look later in the passage, verse 17, Genesis 3:17, because of Adam's sin, it says, because you've listened to the voice of your wife, you've eaten the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. So everything made of the ground, including animals, are going to be cursed. And so we see problems, of course, sinful effects of uh, death and the rest in the animal kingdom. Well, God, of course, cares about animals in the destruction of the world. He's willing to have every living thing that's going to be destroyed, but he wants now to bring two of every sort into the ark, seven of the clean animals, to keep them alive with you. So part of God's recreation of the world after the flood is that there are animals that are spared. This is part of what God wants to keep intact. And he talks about the birds and the animals and the creeping things on the ground. And uh, he wants to make sure that they are part of God's ongoing work in the world. Genesis 9, though, something changes here. Genesis 9, verses 1 through 3. God blessed Noah after the flood was over and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Now, there's something changed here in the animal kingdom in verse 2. The fear of you, right, of who? The people that are going to multiply in the earth, the human beings. The fear of you and the dread of you shall be upon every beast of the earth and upon every bird of the heavens, upon everything that creeps on the ground and all the fish of the sea. Into your hand they are delivered. Now, here's the idea of the dread and fear. That's why animals, unless they're domesticated, they're going to run from you. They're going to scurry from you. They're going to run away. But he's going to give them over to people. We've got a whole different world now. They're not vegetarians anymore at this point. I don't think the world can maintain the kind of vegetarian world that we had before, at least not in this particular point in history. And so he says, every moving thing that lives shall be food for you. So before this, we had, um, we had um, non-meat-eating human beings, and now we have carnivores. We have people eating uh, animals. I gave them to you. He says, as I gave you the green plants, that's prior to the flood, he says, I give you everything um, to eat, right? This is all about eating. I give, you, I give you all of that. So animals now, after the flood, scared of human beings, and now they are prey to eat because we really can't sustain things the way that we did before, um, before the flood after the flood. And so animals now are food to eat, which, by the way, reminds us of why they're caught and destroyed. They're caught and destroyed for food here in Second Peter. Now, of course, 
Uh, this was all a part of God's creation initially that continues after the flood, and that is that we are to remember how at the top of this creation heap that we are, uh, who are we that God would care for us, the Son of Man that, you know, are we that what is man that you would be mindful of him, the psalmist says, and the Son of Man that you'd care for him? You've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've crowned him with glory and honor. You've given him dominion over the works of your hand. Put everything under his feet so we can domesticate these animals, we can eat these animals. This is part of God's uh, plan. That's post-fall, of course, then post-flood. And yet, even though they're irrational creatures of instinct and you can eat them, and that's the basic things that happen with, with animals, so many of them at least, uh, God says you're still a steward, right? Whoever is righteous, this is Proverbs 12, 10, has regard for the life of his beast, which is just smart. Of course, if your beast is a beast of burden who's carrying you around your donkey or your oxen in the field, of course you're going to have a regard for the life of, of his beast. But the mercy of the wicked, which is hardly mercy at all, right, is cruel. So we have even the best of the wicked is cruel. And cruel to what in this context? The animals, the animals that are in the environs and the even the work, enlisted in work in the life of a person. So there's something here about having that regard. We care about it, that we're stewards of God's creation. Yet there's a difference. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 this is Ecclesiastes 3.18. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, this is an important phrase, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. Now there's a part of us, of course, where we are. And we look. This is the test. We look like animals. We breathe oxygen like animals. We eat and, and, and die like animals. It says, for what happens, speaking here of death, to the children of man is what happens to the beasts. It's all the same. As one dies, so, the, so dies the other. Their body dies. And all have the same breath. In other words, it leaves their bodies, right? And man has no advantage over the beast for all his vanity. Of course, that's the idea throughout this book of under the sun, without God, there's no difference. Uh, which, by the way, let me take you to the end of the book, and then we'll jump back into this passage. It says here in Ecclesiastes 12, 7, uh, And the dust returns to the earth, talking about our death, as it was, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Okay, so we know that as a dichotomy, we're spirit and we're flesh. When they separate, that's called death. We go to be with God, back to God. Well, here, the whole point of this testing in verse 18, go back now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. It says, uh, all, verse 20, go to one place, their bodies certainly, and all are from the dust, and to dust all return, both animals and human beings. Who knows whether, that's the testing of this passage, the spirit of man goes upward, well, we know that, that's not only the teaching elsewhere in Scripture, it's certainly the teaching in Ecclesiastes 12, and the spirit of beast goes down into the earth. The distinction there of God's redemptive work in the spirit, the immaterial part of animals, I'm sorry, of human beings, is different than it is, of course, with animals. I guess his answering the question is fluffy in, in heaven. The idea is they're animals of instinct, right? They're animals that are uh, not the same as human beings. They're of a different quantitative, or sorry, qualitative uh, worth to God. And the redemption of God's work in Christ is for the spirit of rational human beings made in the image of God. So I wish we had time for more of this, but just, just a super brief theology of animals, if you will. And we're going to get into all these themes again, blaspheming matters, which they're ignorant of, and they're going to be destroyed, which is the theme of the passage. More on that next time. But for now, there's a little bit of food to chew on, uh, no pun intended, in terms of our thinking regarding the animal world and um, 
which is a good thing, a part of God's glory, an effect of God's glory in the world. We're grateful for it and we should be good stewards of those animals and understand a little bit of the distinction between animals and human beings, which we could say more on, but we're out of time. So be sure to subscribe. We'll be back with you tomorrow, Lord willing, as we continue our study of 2 Peter chapter 2.